Welcome to the Stop Down Photography Podcast, episode 98. I'm Scott Davenport. Today's topic, three tips for capturing the Milky Way. Hi, welcome. Thanks for joining me. I'm glad to be back with you for another chat about photography, this shared passion of ours. And in today's episode, let's take one more step on our never-ending journey of photography. In early April, I headed into the Southern California desert for some astrophotography. Clear skies and a new moon were perfect conditions to capture the Milky Way. And I learned a few things about astrophotography, and I want to share those with you. I've got three tips to share with you on how to photograph the Milky Way. I hope you enjoy the show. And if you do enjoy the podcast, please share it with a friend on social media, with your camera club. Also, if you can, please leave a rating and especially a review for the podcast. Ratings and reviews keep the Stop Down Photography Podcast on the charts and help other photographers find out about the show. So on this outing I made earlier in the month, this is April 2022 as I record this, my goal was to capture a crisp, sharp image of the Milky Way. And when I say Milky Way, I mean the galactic core, that denser collection of stars and cosmic dust that I find very captivating. Now, the tips I am about to share can be used for many types of night sky photography. They're not just for the galactic core. And also, I'm going to mention a bunch of different resources, websites, apps, that kind of stuff, that'll help you with planning and executing your astrophotography. The show notes have all the links to the resources, right? (laughs) Of course they do. I always have the links in the show notes and in the accompanying episode post on stopdownpodcast.com. So you don't have to remember all this stuff or try to scribble it down while you're listening. I've done all of that for you already. All right, so here we go. Three tips for how to capture the Milky Way. Tip number one, pre-planning is important. There are a few ingredients that go into the recipe of creating a good astro photo. Several things have to come together to get a good view of the night sky. You need to know where and you need to know when. Let's talk about where. You need to choose a location where you can see the stars at night because, yeah, the stars are always overhead, but we can't always see them. A location needs to be dark, away from city and residential lights, Because if there's light pollution, the night sky gets obscured and less of the Milky Way is visible. So how do you go find a dark sky? There are a lot of different websites and apps to help you do this. I like the tools at lightpollutionmap.info. I found it to be a great resource on the web. You get a world map with colored overlays showing which areas of our planet have more light pollution and which have darker skies. And you can zoom in and out and pan and scan all the things we would do with a mapping tool. And sidebar, I, I gotta say, it's really hard to find a dark sky. Now, I'm, I'm fortunate living in the southwest of the U.S. There are some reasonably dark skies within a few hours' drive of where I live. And for those on the eastern half of the U.S. or western Europe or portions of the Pacific Rim, you're going to have a more difficult time. There are pockets out there, but they are fewer and farther between. Now, the tools on lightpollutionmap.info have a lot of options. There's a lot of overlays that you can apply to the maps. I'll recommend you stick with the World Atlas overlay and look at sky brightness. 
other overlays like uh, VIIRS. I, I honestly don't even know what that stands for off the top of my head, but that shows light sources, like where light is emanating from. The World Atlas view shows the effect of that light, you know, like the bleed, the reach that those light sources have. And that's what you need to be aware of for astrophotography how much light pollution is going to bleed into or affect your chosen spot for your photo. Another nice feature of the mapping tools there is you can click a point on the map, like a place you're thinking, all right, this, this is within driving distance for me, and it looks like it's in the areas of it's getting into darker sky. You get this measure on the Bortle scale as like a quick reference for how light or how dark things are. And the folks at lightpollutionmap.info, they've conveniently mapped that number on the scale to star visibility. So you're looking for something like class four or lower to have a reasonable chance of seeing a good portion of the night sky. When you get down to like class two, now you're really finding a good night sky. The spot that I went, it, it teetered between three and two, uh, closer to the two range. And uh, I ended up with a very good photo. So uh, that you can use that as like a rule of thumb. And there are also some phone apps for this type of info. But I tend to do the location selection for Astro before going into the field, actually kind of in general, but definitely for Astro. So web resources, working on your desktop, that's fine. And of course, these sites load on your smartphone too. So that's the, the where. You need to pick a spot that has a dark sky. But now, what about the when? We're still in planning, right? We did where, now we gotta do when. And just like location, where not every location is equal for seeing the night sky, not every time of year is equal to seeing the Milky Way. The galactic core rises at different angles at different times of the year. In some months, it's not visible, and depending where you are on the globe, you may not be able to see it at all. But there's a couple of things that you want. Um, first, you want a new moon. Just like artificial light from uh, cities, we don't want the moonlight to obscure our view of the night sky. It is a form of light pollution, at least when we're talking about astrophotography. Now, there's a great website, CaptureTheAtlas.com. They have excellent resources. They produce a yearly calendar. You can get it for free. Just sign up for the mailing list. And the calendar lists out a bunch of things that will help you with planning when to go for your Milky Way photos. The best dates to see the Milky Way, the start and end times for its visibility, how long it's going to be visible, the angle of the galactic core, best days for maximum visibility, as well as days that the Milky Way just won't be visible. And there's a variety of calendars. There's one specific to certain latitudes on the Earth. So you choose the calendar that most closely matches your position on the planet, or more accurately, the position for the location you're planning to visit. For example, I'm in Southern California, and CaptureTheAtlas.com has a calendar for Death Valley. You know, good dark skies out in Death Valley. That's roughly the 36th parallel. And I'm also roughly at that same parallel. So that's the calendar I chose to get. And it worked great for me. Now the last ingredient is the weather forecast for a clear sky. 
we know where we want to go to get that dark sky. We know when in the year we want to go to get the best opportunity to see that Milky Way. Well, we also have to have a clear sky. No clouds, no fog, no rain. The clearer, the better. Right? All of these things have to come together for a nice, clean view of the Milky Way. Now, for weather forecasting, you know, really any any app is good for this. My favorite is called yr.no. It's uh, out of Norway, and they have a website by that name as well as an app by that name. Their micro forecasts I've always been very impressed with. A day or so out, they're good. Within 12 hours of your shoot, it's even better. So uh, I, I advocate yr.no. At least add it to your repertoire of weather apps, right? We always got a few of them for you know, landscape photographers. We always have a few of them. We kind of compare and contrast and get an aggregate of what the weather might be like based on our favorite apps. So that's a lot of planning there, right? So uh, recapping that, you got to know where you want to go and check out lightpollutionmap.info for spots that have darker skies. You need to know when to go during the year, considering the position of the Milky Way as well as the faces of the moon. And you need a good weather forecast, clear skies, clearer the better. So all put together, that is tip number one. Pre-planning is important, and I hope I'm stressing that. Given how much time I've just spent talking about the planning for the shoot, this stuff really is the beginnings of your success story for astrophotography. Right, tip number two, choose the right lens and camera settings. Let's talk the lens first. If you're capturing like the arch of the Milky Way or you want a really big sky, you're not doing some targeted examination of a certain celestial body. I'm talking about the Milky Way, that big swath of the core. You want a wide angle lens. 24 millimeters all right, 20 millimeters good, 16 even better. If you've got something that does even wider than that, not so much a fisheye, but just a really wide view, go for it. Uh, like I said, and there's exceptions to this, of course. You may want to do a telephoto if you want to look at just a very specific portion of the Milky Way. Or uh, for, for those that know more about Astro than me, you're you know, maybe looking for specific galaxies or nebulas you want to take photos of. I haven't done any of that work. And as I say that out loud, I, I, I kind of want to. But let's talk broad vistas of the night sky. Wide angle is the way to go. Also with your lens, remember, you're in a dark place and need to gather as much light as possible in a reasonably short time. So your lens needs to support a pretty open aperture. So uh, let's actually, let's bleed into that. Let's get into you know, the lens, which kind of leads us into the camera settings. So first, aperture. We want a fast lens, something that's wide, would collect light, f2.8 is a great choice. Now, you can get away with f4, and I've done that. You'll have to compensate for that with other camera settings. f2.8 uh, is, is, a, is a really good place to be for Astro. And even though f2.8 is a shallow depth of field, when all of the objects you're capturing are millions of miles away, they're effectively on the same focal plane, right? Infinity. Now, a shallow depth of field like that, f2.8, it will mean foreground objects will be softer. That's the nature of the game, shallow depth of field. So if you have a, a strong foreground element that needs to be crisp, 
Think about compositing. You know, take a photo with your foreground elements crisp and then take another focused on your galaxy, your stars, the night sky, and blend them together in post. That's kind of the lens-centric stuff. Wide, a lens that has a very open aperture, and that leads us into other camera settings. Let's talk about ISO. Even with a wide aperture like f2.8, you'll need to boost ISO. The higher ISO will capture more pinpoints of light. You're just going to gather more light. You're increasing the sensitivity of your camera to light points. Where to start? An ISO of 3200 is a good starting point. It's high, but it's not too high. And 3200 is well within the reach of noise reduction software. So you can compensate for some of the digital noise or color noise that might come in in post. So I start there, you know, F2.8, ISO of 3200, take some test shots and experiment a little. If I need to boost ISO to capture more stars, or maybe I can lower ISO and reduce the noise and still have a good image. Earlier I mentioned getting away with, say, F4, if that's like the lens that you, you happen to have. Uh, before I, I got my 20 millimeter F2.8, F4 was the widest I could take my aperture. Well, that meant I had to pop ISO up a little higher so that I could collect more light and see more stars. So there's always games we can play with that exposure triangle. But, uh, a good starting arena, F2.8, ISO 3200. And then lastly, what about the shutter speed? How long to keep the shutter open? For a Milky Way photo, you want to capture pinpoint stars, very crisp. Now, I'll assume you're not using one of those rigs that will geoposition and slowly pan the camera at the same pace that the Earth is rotating so the stars above stay in lockstep. We're doing like a typical tripod, have a remote to trigger or release, and we need to know, all right, how long can I keep that shutter open before the rotation of the Earth causes blur, right? Because just like photographing any other moving subject, the stars are moving relative to our position on Earth. That rotation is what creates those cool star trails and a different type of astrophotography. But for crisp, clear Milky Way, we need to know what the boundaries are. Now, there's a couple of approaches to calculating this, right? It's a calculation. Uh, there, there's a 500 rule and there's a newer NPF rule. Go to Google, you can see ample explanations of what these rules are. The 500 rule is simple math. The NPF rule is more complex and accounts for your camera and the aperture and the megapixels that you have in your sensor. I don't fill my brain with the formulas. I have an app on my phone to do the calculations for me. It's called PhotoPills. PhotoPills has a ton of utilities for a landscape photographer. And you, you might already own PhotoPills because it is that uh, versatile. One of the tools is a spot stars calculator. You tell it about your camera make and model, your focal length, your aperture, and it gives you exposure times using both rules, the 500 rule and NPF rule. And it also has sub options for like highly accurate crisp stars or barely noticeable trails, so 
a little bit of drift, but not too noticeable. I go with the NPF rule. I also go for the most accurate stars I can get. And then I have sharp, crisp, pinpoint stars in the photo. So let's put all that together here. Camera lens and settings, what to choose. Wide angle lens, a wide aperture like f2.8, a higher ISO, 3200 is a good starting point, and then exposure time calculated using the NPF rule. So where this worked out for me in April, my gear is a Sony a7R2 body and a 20 millimeter lens. The 20 millimeter lens goes to f1.4. I dialed in 2.8 for my aperture, set my ISO to 3200, and PhotoPills computed roughly a six second time exposure for accurate stars. And I used those and I got really good results. A related tip perhaps is don't be afraid to deviate from those settings. In fact, you probably should. What I rattled off was my starting point. And I took several shots and experimented with different ISOs because astrophotography is a multifaceted tug of war among like, visible stars in the frame versus less noise in your capture versus minimizing blur because of earth rotation. So the guidelines I've given are very good starting points and the calculators for exposure time in particular, they presume ideal equipment, which doesn't really exist. And, you know, there's always minor differences in our equipment. So don't be shy about starting with these particular values and experimenting. There's nothing absolute about these settings I've shared, but they will get you started in a very good place and with minor deviation, land you exactly where you want to be. All right, so those are our first two tips. Planning up front, you've got your location, your when and where. Tip number two, your lens and camera settings, we've got those dialed in. Well, the last one, tip number three, is about focus. Use manual focus. To get crisp points of light in your Milky Way, you've got to use manual focus. Your camera's autofocus just likely won't do justice in the night sky. You might snap focus on a bright star, but there's a very good chance it's not focused at infinity, or at least not exactly where you need it to be. So your best bet is use the manual focus. And to do that, Turn off autofocus on your camera or your lens if there's a switch on your lens. Find a bright star in the distance. Looking through your viewfinder, start working your focus ring and make that bright star as small as possible in your viewfinder, a tiny dot. If your camera has a focus assist feature, use it. On my Sony a7R II, I have this feature turned on, so when I adjust the focus ring, I get a 5x magnification in the viewfinder and on the LCD. So that bright star I've picked up in the sky, it is much easier to see and it's much easier to tell when it gets to its smallest. As I you know, rotate the focus ring, it's kind of like growing or shrinking a bokeh ball. You imagine that pinpoint of, of light and then you, you make it out of focus, it kind of grows and becomes that you know, bokeh shape we're used to. And as it gets more in focus, it shrinks down. Now, uh, I, I struggled with this, honestly, in the field here, and um, I want to share a little bit of audio I captured while I was out there kind of you know, thinking about focus and wrestling with things. So uh, let me play that for you now. 
I have been struggling a little to get the perfect focus on the, the stars. I need to manual the focus. There's no way to do it otherwise. The autofocus is certainly not trustworthy in dim light. So uh, I've been using manual focus. Uh, I, I think I need to try turning off the focus peaking so that the, you know, the, 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 the crispness that gets highlighted by you know, the red or the yellow or whatever configuration you've got set in your camera is hidden because I want to get a bright star in the distance to be as small of a dot as possible and uh, that would should be a good focus at infinity. So uh, I need to keep tinkering but the next thing is to turn off the focus peaking so that coloration isn't uh, hiding anything where I might be missing focus. As you heard, a feature I had to turn off was focus peaking. And once I did that, my manual focus technique indeed improved and I got sharper stars because that focus peaking turned on the colorization, the EVF and LCD adds to the edges of things. It was obscuring my view of that singular star. Normally I keep focus peaking turned on, but for astro and the manual focusing, I found it helpful to turn it off. But focus peaking aside, Manual focus is the way to go, and use any magnification features or focus assist that your camera might have to give you some help. So let me recap those three tips for capturing the Milky Way. Number one, pre-planning is important, if not vital. Number two, choose the right lens and camera settings, a lens that can capture a wide view of the sky and settings that will collect a lot of light. Number three, use manual focus to get the sharpest stars possible. You do these three things and you have a solid foundation for your next astrophotography adventure. As I think about this Milky Way shoot I just did, uh, you know, astrophotography is not a type of photography I do often. And during this outing, I remembered why. I do enjoy capturing the night sky from time to time, somewhere between occasionally and periodically, because I find astro to be a little more of a clinical type of photography. Uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but a lot of the work happens in your planning, and the camera settings are somewhat prescribed. There's not very much in terms of like in the moment surprise with other types of landscape photography that I'll do, or just the, you know, you, you go to a location with one idea in mind and, and two or three other things can happen and you see them. Uh, that's, I find that to be less true with Astro. The artistic push is really with that pre-visualization, thinking ahead about the location, what foreground elements are there, how the Milky Way is going to react. Um, actually, another cool feature of photo pills that's great is the night augmented reality, night AR. You can drop a location into the map. You can move forward or backward in time and see how and where the galactic core comes into view. And depending on which direction you're standing, you know, the things change as well. It is very good AR. So you can do this kind of thing in your living room. You know, break out a compass, figure out if you're going to be pointing you know, yourself like on the northern hemisphere, I'd be pointing myself south, and then drop a pin in the map and photo pills and start skimming it back and forth to see how the Milky Way is going to rise and fall. 
it's another excellent planning tool. But for me, anyway, you know, Astro is it's a good periodic activity, I think, and uh, I guess it lends itself to being a periodic activity by its nature because the right conditions, new moons, and you know, certain seasons when the Milky Way does its thing, and in whatever hemisphere you're in, you know, those only happen a handful of times each year. A tiny bit of studio news for you. Uh, I just returned from a scouting trip for the Big Sur Experience workshop happening in May of 2022. That workshop is sold out and is just a few weeks away. I spent two days in the Big Sur area visiting and revisiting locations, you know, confirming access, checking trail conditions, scouting a couple of alternative locations, you know, the, the plan B and the plan C, those types of things. Because um, you know, whenever possible, I like to get out to locations ahead of a workshop. As a, as a workshop leader, you know, my aim is to avoid surprises. And even as many times as you've been to a place, things can and do change. So it was, uh, it was good to get my boots on the ground in Big Sur about four weeks before our upcoming workshop. And uh, oh, I'll tell you, I, I cannot wait for this workshop to start. Big Sur is looking good, and I am eager to work side-by-side side with six of my fellow photographers. Just a few more weeks away. Before I sign off, thanks as always to everyone that supports this show through comments, reviews, shares, ratings. Thank you all very much. If you are interested in learning more about the different ways you can support the Stop Down Photography Podcast, links are in the show notes. Or if you're on the web, you can click the Support the Show button on any page of StopDownPodcast.com. There are many zero-cost ways you can support this podcast. And of course, if you'd like to make a financial donation, you're welcome to do so. There is uh, options for a one-time donation, recurring donation. It does cost a little bit of money to run the podcast. And uh, I have received some donations from you. You, you know who you are. I've, I've, I've thanked you for them already, and I'll thank you again here on air. Uh, but uh, yeah, check out, check out the support page. And uh, with that, I hope I've given you some inspiration to get some astrophotography into your work. Uh, it certainly was rejuvenating for me, not having done it for a while. And if you've never tried it before, go check it out. Go, go give it a try. You know, check the show notes. Check the StopDownPodcast.com website for more details on everything I've talked about in this episode. And capture yourself some, uh, some Milky Way and some night sky photos. Until next time, my name is Scott Davenport. Have fun. <laughs>